have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. There, now we're not strangers. <laughs> you bet your fern we're not. That's what you used to say back in the day. Bet your fern? Bet your fern, yeah. We are reviewing Stephen King's 1990 miniseries, It. Yeah, real mini, like two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a uh, part one, part two, but you know, it it wasn't originally just that. It, it was originally going to be something uh way more, but much like the movie that is hitting theaters, it because it's cleaner. Uh, it chapter two is coming out, so we decided to look back at the source, uh, the movie that was adapted from a book. You know, the source. Mm. Uh, so Stephen King's it. Uh, circle with a C in it, uh, is a movie all about the book, which follows a group of 1960s uh, preteen outcasts who fight an evil demon who poses as a child-killing clown. Then, 30 years later, they reunite to stop the demon once and for all when it returns to their hometown. Uh, this was a miniseries, but if you'll watch it all together like a movie, it clocks in at three hours and 12 minutes. Boy, does it. So going into the making of the 1990 movie, early in development, uh, Stephen King's uh, It, just as a book, was very popular because, you know, Stephen King's, he he writes a lot of things. He does. Uh, and so ABC acquired the rights for the movie, and it's like... Over a thousand pages oh, yeah. of book. Mm-hmm. It's not a short thing to read. So originally they were planning on a four-night miniseries with eight to ten hours total. Mm. Uh, then they whittled it down to a six-hour miniseries. Um, and that was when they brought in uh, George A. Romero uh, to be the director. And he worked extensively on the script and in pre-production only to bow out due to scheduling conflicts with The Night of the Living Dead that also released in 1990. Mm. But then ultimately it got down to uh, the version that we did see. And like I said, this was a TV movie so we don't have like a lot of information about like how it did in the box office because the box office didn't kind of exist but um part one was the fifth highest rated program on sunday november 18th with an 18.5 rating and watched in 17.5 million households part two was the second highest rated program on tuesday november 20th with a 20.6 rating and watched in 19.2 million households. Uh, And it had a estimated budget of $12 million for the whole shebang. Wow. That's pretty brutal that they made them wait all Monday to get closure on that story. (laughs) What happened? And it was released on VHS and Laserdisc in 1991. The original VHS release was Mm. on two cassette tapes. I remember seeing that at the Blockbuster and being terrified by the cover. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, we will get into that cover art very soon. (laughs) Um, Now, Tim Curry did an amazing job. Originally, Malcolm McDowell and Roddy McDowell. um, Wow. So close. Almost spelling names. uh, Were the initial choices for the role of Pennywise before Tim Curry was cast. Um, And Tim Curry did such a good job. Um, In fact, there's a scene where uh, with Pennywise and Georgie. Uh, Tim Curry was so in character that uh, Tony Dakota remarked, 
Tim, you're scaring me. <laughs> and Curry responded with, gee, I'm so sorry, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And you're supposed to be scared. <laughs> Uh, now, Tim Curry, he is, like, the title character. He's on the cover. But this movie has such an amazing cast of a lot of comedians. Uh, Tim Reed um, from WKRP in Cincinnati fame, also from 90s Kids, Sister Sister. Uh, John Ritter from Three's Company. Uh, Richard Monsieur, Monsieur? Um, from One Day at a Time. And Harry Anderson, uh, who was best known at the time as the zany judge in Night Court. Yeah, and that's just the adults. No right. one ever told me Seth Green was in this movie. Seth Green. Seth Green. Seth Green, who continues to be uh, the human who I envy the most in Hollywood. He got cast as a nerdy kid whose main quality about them was being a goofster and making voices who then continue to do the same thing in real life is just not fair. I'm going to be fine. Um, and also, I didn't realize this um, until I dug into IMDb, but she looked so familiar to me, and I couldn't quite place it. Um, but the uh, the child version of Beverly, mm-hmm. Emily Perkins plays young Beverly, and I watched this random modern-day werewolf movie in the early 2000s called Ginger Snaps. Uh, and she played Bridget. And she's she's there. She, she's also, she you know, she shows up like randomly in a couple other movies. She was also in Juno as the punk receptionist. Mm. And she's a man as Eunice. Uh, but I remember her from Ginger Snaps. So I was like, wait a second, why does she look so familiar? Yeah. And it's from that. Well, and it's worth calling out young Bill Jonathan Brandis we've seen before as Bastion on NeverEnding Story 2. Nice. Yeah. So if he looked familiar, that is why. You're absolutely right. Wow. Yeah. 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 Which will likely have some headcanon implications later on. Oh, you better believe it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I did think Seth Green was actually just a time-traveling Martin Starr from Freaks and Geeks when I first saw him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, So this movie, it came out in 1990. It was kind of a phenomenon. Like, it, it... even though it was a TV movie, so many people pointed to this movie as like one of the scariest movies that they could cite. I remember pre me even seeing it, which I only saw it, always pun intended, uh, like last year when the uh, 2017 it came out. Um, so I guess not last year, two years ago. That's how time works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so when I first watched it, I was like, oh, I I can understand how this can be scary in the past, but I, I didn't find it to be as scary as what everyone was building it up to be. Yeah, I had heard that it was really – because I hadn't seen it before this, and um, I, I had heard that it was incredibly scary. The main thing I heard was that uh, someone told me they won't eat eggs now uh, because of the scene in the restaurant. So I was like, wow. wow. Yeah. So that's – that's got some tangible repercussions. Oh, yeah. Well, and I can also understand it because if you look at this movie from the you know perspective of the 1990s, uh, you know, that like this idea of like, you know, like prior to this movie, clowns weren't the go to like scary device. Like the reason why we are afraid of clowns today is, you know, not only just like the fake smile thing, uh, but it's largely because of it. Mm. Like th- this is the genesis of it, uh, whether it be the book or the actual uh, 
first iteration of the live action movie, it comes from that. And I think especially clowns, you associate clowns with kids and being friendly and fear is nowhere near there. Um, But then Stephen King's like, okay, cool. Hear me out. What if nightmares? And then, you know, it it became a nightmare fuel um, from there on. But yeah, I, this movie is responsible for that whole, Oh, I think clowns are scary. Well, it really says something when you can start an entire phobia based on a story. But what if people were afraid of cars? Mm. Think about it. Cars, dogs, prom. <laughs> it's like it's like Stephen King is like the opposite of Pixar. So Pixar's like, oh, what if what if toys had feelings? It's like, oh, what if cars had feelings? It's like, what if people were afraid of clowns? What if people were afraid of cars? You guys like hotels? Too bad. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, so let's go ahead and get into our reaction. So, Grayson, uh, was this your first time watching It? It was, yeah. This this was my first time. Um, Stephen King, though, is one of my favorite writers of all time, though. So it was really fun to get to see this on screen. And um, I, I loved it. I, I really had... I had seen the 2017 version, though, already. So I was mm-hmm. familiar with the characters and, and all that. Um, so the difference, main difference being that the 2017 version, you're with the kids the entire time, this one flashes back. And I thought that was really interesting to kind of build the mystery of what happened instead of just what's going to happen. Um, and I love how they like match the positions as they dissolve to the flashbacks. I thought that was really fun. Um, but yeah, my main reaction to this was just, I'd love to see one, a chronological cut of this original film. I think that would be interesting. And then two, I know people have been asking for the extended version of the 2017. And the editor of the newer ones has said there are extended versions of these films, but that he would be very interested in doing a combined edit of the newer films too. So having seen this movie, I want to see that combined edit of the new ones even more. Um, but yeah, the, just the way they play with time and uh, kind of connect both ends of the story uh, was really appealing. And um, I, I was a big fan. I love the Easter eggs that they have in this too, like uh, to, to Stephen King, where like Bill's book, The Glowing, is a nod to Stephen King's The Shining and things like that. But yeah, Tim Curry was just so creepy and unrecognizable as Pennywise. Um, I think if we hadn't just done Muppet Treasure Island, where you like see his mouth. I, I don't think I would have like seen any of Tim Curry through the clown makeup. There were some moments where I was like, Oh, there you are, Peter. But other <laughs> than that, um, he just became this character and it's terrifying. Oh, for sure. So my first exposure to this movie, uh, was uh, very similar to what you were saying before Grayson, which was a uh, blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like it was on the end cap of the horror movie genre, uh, at blockbuster. And I always thought, yep, no, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I will pass on walking by this nightmare, uh, just because like the cover itself is just, it's so ominous. It's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, this clown with sharp teeth and like velociraptor hands. Like, I don't, I don't want that. No, thank you. And so, like, I, I had like a kind of like, all right, set in fear. And also, um, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I used to go to Party City uh, during Halloween time, and there, there were, uh, you know, the the, the pre bag plastic bag costumes. Like, hey, like you dress up like this, and like you, you can see those 
costumes. But me, I was like, man, like I, I want to see what else they have because like I even pre um, exposure to film, I always like appreciated like the real, like the more intense mask. Yeah, you're like, you're like I, the like, mayor of Party City. <laughs> thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, four more years, um, and so. Uh, I remember one time there was an actual, like, Jim Carrey, the mask mask, yeah. but it was in, like, the way, way back. But also in the way, way back were these, like, super, like, exaggerated, like, like masks of, like, like latex, like, clown masks and, like, evil, demented, like, super exaggerated faces of clown masks. I was like, is it worth it? Is it worth me going back into this section? Uh, and, and they had, like, like multiple versions of the it mask just because it was so iconic and so you know terrifying um and so that that was kind of my first exposure to it as like a pop cultural phenomenon um but watching it for the first time after the reboot of the 2017 it uh it really made me super curious i was just like man i really want the sequel to be out like now Mm -hmm. because the thing that this does a good job of is uh i i thought that it was just going to be a strictly horror movie um as we know the genre to be like lots of violence lots of gore um but it really was about uh like when i watched the the reboot of it i'm like oh this is just this is just so this is like stand by me but it just so happens to be a clown at the end like it's more like actually don't re- stand by me right yeah it's like stand very far away Keep from going me. a little further <laughs> but I, I i thought it was i thought it was so so cute mm-hmm. and so like like yes there were scary moments but like the core of the movie wasn't like to scare people it was like all right like these it's about this band of kids that are like going through this experience together. And so how does this translate when they get older now? And so um, it was cool to see like them all kind of band together and kind of fall back into not necessarily their childhood selves, but kind of like revert to that like unbreakable friendship type thing uh, and see how like the casting uh, was really spot on with all the different characters and how they grew up into become all these different, um, you know, adult versions of themselves uh, so I, I was just I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just a strict horror, but it was more like psychological horror. But like it was a coming of age story first, um, and then also you know like scary elements interweaved, uh, you know. And ultimately, like, especially like you know, I think the thing that the 2017 it does a good job of emphasizing that this one shows you differently is like it's all about facing your fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really it, because I, I think by seeing it as a, a like flashbacks, you kind of get like a different story than just watching the kids. Like, okay, what happens from beginning to end? Like when these kids meet each other, they confront it, and then you know they vanquish it for years. Like you get a different story of that versus them being adults and then flashing back. Mm-hmm. I think then you kind of see like, okay, so it's about these adults confronting it, not necessarily these kids vanquishing this thing and then coming back to it like it, it kind of tells a different story i think so overall that that was really it because i didn't have like a ton of backstory with it as a movie like i just knew it's like oh it's a scary thing but like i was just pleasantly surprised that i 
wasn't as afraid of it as I mm-hmm. thought I would. But the scariest things to me were the little claymation. Anytime <laughs> it was like a little claymation monster, that was unsettling yeah, well, for me. Well, gym like, showers that, are always scary. Yeah. No. No, I was like, nope, I think I, I, I'd i rather like, I'd rather you not. You get that Betelgeist nonsense out of here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that to me, because uh, that that version of it kind of fell into the uncanny valley yeah. of just like you're just um like you're not quite human or cartoony enough for me to you, i shouldn't be looking at you right now yeah yeah you're comfortable with the photorealistic cgi but the yes. uh yeah the claymation it, it is disturbing now one missed opportunity to like scare the kids i think um is like uh, i mean he's a clown mm-hmm. so you know circus acts oh yeah you know what he sh- you know what he should have done what's that he should have launched himself out of a head cannon. Head cannon. It really falls into the uncanny valley. <laughs> head cannon is the part of the show where we share a few unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, so, Grayson. Yeah. Uh, are, are you a big fan of yoga? I mean, as much as one can be, I suppose. Okay. Well, I hope you stretch because this is a reach. Um, <laughs> so. Oh, yes. I know that position. Yes. Oh, uh, Yes. So my headcanon is this. I'm just going to read something to you, Grayson. Mm-hmm. The city of Monstropolis in the monster world is powered by energy from the screams of human children. At the Monsters, Inc. factory, skilled monsters employed as scarers venture into the human world to scare children and harvest their screams through doors that activate portals to children's bedroom closets. Mm-hmm. It is considered dangerous work, as human children are believed to be toxic. Energy production is falling because children are becoming less easily scared. And Henry J. Waternoose, the company's chairman, is determined to find a solution to the problem. Um, uh, That's the synopsis for Monsters, Inc. I'm going to go ahead and spoil the rest of Monsters, Inc. for you. Ultimately, they decide that laughter is much more energy efficient than screams. Mm -hmm. Now, Grayson... I'm not a writer uh, of novels, um, but it seems to me that um, Pennywise, mm-hmm. the clown, uh, fits too well into this. Mm. It fits too well into this. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it on Disney Plus because <laughs> it is re- revealed to be uh, – a uh, half velociraptor, um, and uh, he, he is—he he says he, he is a demon. Um, demons are also synonymous with monsters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that Hennywise falls into uh, is a monster from the Monsters Inc. world. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think that he is one of, if not the first monster mm. um, from the Monsters Inc. world because. Of all the forms to take on, he took on that of a clown. Mm. Um, and so I think the clown clowns are made to laugh, like make people laugh. But also, um, you know, it's not something that you would think would scare you. Um, and it shouldn't. That's why, you know, they ultimately find out that the solution has been there the whole time kind of thing. Um, but also borrowing a bit of headcanon from Halloween Town, um, you know, they said, hey, listen, some of some people from Halloween Town, like, ventured out into the human world. But other than that, they say, like, listen, we just want to hang out, like, be monsters, like, or 
sorry, I might be misremembering, but I, at one point in time, before Halloween Town existed in that Disney Channel original movie, um, monsters lived amongst the world of humans, like regularly. But you know, like you take any monster movie, like they've been chased out of town or hunted or whatever. So they said, let's all just come to this one town where we can live safely and just live our normal everyday lives. Blending those two together, uh, I want to say that Pennywise is probably one of the monsters who, like, was, like, very malicious because he was, like, murdering people. Like, even in Monsters, Inc., we're just like, yeah, we don't kill people. We just scare them to harness their screens. Pennywise is just like, oh, no, no, no. Kill, kill, consume, consume these uh, tiny humans. He's like, oh, gosh, you, too too much. No, no, thank you. So he just took it way too far. Yeah, he just took it way too far. He just was really going for employee of the month and took it <laughs> way too far. Yeah. No, I buy uh, that. I buy that. Yeah. And also, um, and I forgot this uh, under my fun facts, um, but it's it's too coincidental not to tie it together. Uh, so the original It movie came out in 1990, the same year that Bill Skarsgård was born. Oh. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, coincidence? <laughs> I think oh, not. Yeah. Uh, that's my head <laughs> When the scars guards align. Um, <laughs> no, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so I, I have this one headcanon that I'm really excited about, but I'm going to, I'm going to lead up to it with two uh, preview headcanons uh, before oh. the main event. Uh, that's some Stephen King humor for you. Um, so uh, the first mini headcanon is that, uh, well, we mentioned Jonathan Brandis. He played Bastion in Never Ending Story 2, that this is the same character. He's just reading Stephen King's it and he's stuck in the book. Um, which would explain why Bastion is suddenly afraid of the pool in Neverending Story 2, because this actually takes place between Neverending Story 1 and 2. So there you go. The question is solved from that episode that we never had closure on. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, uh, Seth Green's character is the same character that he played in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, since the movie he's watching in It is called I Was a Teenage Werewolf, and then he's attacked by a werewolf, and uh, he becomes one in Buffy. So if nothing else, he's definitely like cloud atlasing the same events in his life. Um, but I love the, it. Uh, the the headcanon that I'm going to camp out on for a little bit here is that Derry is actually a suburb of Gotham. And uh, that all of these kids will grow up to be Batman villains. But to look at... Uh, <laughs> Uh, who each of these kids might end up becoming someday. Um, We're just going to go character by character, and I'm going to try to keep this as concise as possible here. Um, So we'll start with uh, maybe I think one of the more obvious ones, which is Bev. Bev will grow up to be Poison Ivy. So she has the red hair. She's got this toxic relationship with her father. Uh, She wears green a lot uh, when she shows up to the restaurant, but then changes into a blazer with a floral pattern. Um, and when she's attacked outside her home across the street, the old man is tending to his garden and watering. So you start to get this flower motif with Mm. Bev. Um, additionally, she uses attraction to her advantage. And, uh, actually when Ben and Bev kiss for the first time, they're next to a rose bush right after she's been like handling the flower. So very Mm. poison Ivy esque. And if she's not poison Ivy, then she's dead shot because of her slingshot accuracy. And they even say, you're a dead shot. Um, (laughs) but she's probably a better fit for poison Ivy. Uh, next Stan is the penguin, uh, because he wears suspenders as an adult. 
He's the best dressed of all of them, but when he's a kid, his scout's bandana imitates the bow tie for Penguin, and the spyglass that he uses imitates Penguin's signature monocle, uh, and he mm. wants to be an ornithologist. So, like, he holds up his book of birds and starts naming birds when he's attacked. He's got a whole bird thing going on, so that made him the Penguin. Uh, Mike, I'm a huge Mike fan. Love Mike. Really excited to see Mike, grown-up Mike, in the new It movie. For this, I believe Mike will grow up to be Two-Face. Hear me out. He works for the city, this time as a librarian instead of a district attorney. Um, and you could even connect it to the Batman films where he's like a young version of Billy D. Williams' Harvey Dent. Uh, but for Ooh. this movie, he consistently references a guiding force, usually in the form of luck, uh, since he makes the group, quote, lucky number seven. Um, and so that's very mm. Dent-like. Um, he also... Uh, is the one who carries the pieces of silver in his pocket for all these years, like the Two-Face coin, um, which is a good thing that he had two pieces, too, because Bev misses the first shot, and then she hits Pennywise in the head on the second try, which means Mike gave them a 50-50 chance uh, with heads winning the toss. Uh, and Mike also has uh, the two-toned hair as an adult, which he says that half of his hair went white overnight after going back to the place where they melted off half of Pennywise's face. Um, so also, if he's not two-faced, then, then I think um, Mike's history of the town and his record-keeping would probably make him calendar man. But I like him for two-face. Um, and then Eddie is Scarecrow, mainly because of his inhaler. Um, yeah. Like Bev and Stan, his costuming is also a clue since he has almost exclusively like brown and tan clothes throughout the film, especially as an adult, very tan color scheme like Scarecrow. Um, and at first I thought he might be like Bane since at first he, you know, he's ingesting chemicals that give him strength. But um, since we find out that his inhaler was a placebo the whole time, uh, he's still able to use it to melt Pennywise when he says that it's battery acid, which means Eddie is able to use fear to manipulate others' perception of reality, just Ooh. like Scarecrow. Um, and then... John Ritter, or Ben, um, I believe, is Mr. Freeze. And this one took a while to discover. I wasn't sure for a while, but um, I believe Ben is Mr. Freeze because, well, one, he writes the poem about Bev, uh, where, I mean, his word choice is interesting, where he says, her hair is winter fire, January embers. So he's using these ice metaphors to convey his love. Um, his award, when we meet him, he, he like drops it on the ground. It looks like ice crystals. He mostly wears these blue tones throughout the film. Um, he also uh, says that he feels like he's being chipped away at one point, which is kind of interesting. And uh, the the bed where he has in the room where he has the nightmare of Bev turning into Pennywise and all that uh, had like this weird snowflake pattern on it. So he just has like all of these symbols around him. Um, and you know, he drinks a lot of alcohol throughout the film. He never puts ice in his drinks. And sure, maybe he just likes his liquor neat, but maybe it's because he makes his own ice. Um, but what kind of clued me into it uh, to piece it all together is that while Ben is giving Bev a massage down in that lodge uh, at the hotel, that's when she specifically calls out that the room is getting colder, even though she's sitting across from the fire. Uh, so... Because Ben is Mr. Freeze, when he touches her back, she becomes cold. Um, mm. Now, for Richie, I think I went back and forth. Now, Richie 
I think the obvious choice is for him to be the Joker because of his comedy career. But I actually think there's more evidence to make him the Riddler. Yes. Uh, Superficially, he has the signature red hair. He's got the glasses. His dominant color is green, like the jacket he wears throughout all of the adult sequences. Um, But when you look at his personality, one of the signature traits of the Riddler is wordplay, which is actually closer to the type of humor Richie uses in his comedy career. Uh, Mm. He also makes a lot of comments like, now you got me stumped there, like very kind of mystery based. He reinforces the mystery of what Pennywise is and tries to figure it out. Um, But I went back and forth between him being a Joker and the Riddler. Ultimately, I think Richie as the Riddler makes more sense. And by default, I thought that was going to make Bill the Joker because he's got the purple shirt, the long hair, the motif with the playing cards that show Pennywise's face when he touches them. Um, But my idea there was that maybe he became the Joker because of Pennywise's influence. But what I actually think happened is I think it makes a lot more sense if Pennywise is actually the Joker himself, which would make his primary opponent the Batman. I believe that Bill is the Batman. Whoa. And once I realized that, it made a lot more sense because Bill is actually, what kicks off his journey is the loss of a family member. Uh, He fights in a cave. Harvey Dent, the Harvey Dent equivalent, is one of his closest allies. And he says things like, swear to me. Um... Sure, he says it more sweetly as a kid of like, swear to me, swear to me one day, but he still says it, Um, which would mean as a bonus, Bill's love interest goes catatonic. His wife is Catwoman. So uh, that that is my Gotham headcanon for it. It was a long journey, but uh, very satisfying. I'm very impressed with that. That I like it. It's like the whole Castle Rock universe. That's kind of everything's coming together. Yeah. 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 Gotham Rock. Gotham Rock. I like it. I like it a lot. Man. So now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be remade today, novel idea, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Um, I honestly think that what they should do uh, for this movie is, um, like how you mentioned before, there is an extended cut. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when once... It chapter two comes out. Um, they re-release the entire series or the the part one, part two, both extended cuts, but as a mini series on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, they do an Arrested Development season five um, re-edit of it, what? where they yeah. just they treat it like a series. It's basically and what so- they did with Hateful Eight. Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. They re-released oh, yeah. it on Netflix and put the extended content in it and hacked it up into different episodes. No way. Yeah, it's like five hours long now instead of the theatrical release. That's awesome. Yeah, I because I, I really think that you you get a different kind of story, especially if you see it from the perspective of like the adults, or maybe even they do it by character, because mm. each character does have their own. So it is a rest of development. <laughs> it is certainly is fateful consequences (laughs) so each episode is like a character and then like the finale is just like them all meeting up and previously on it yeah (laughs) yes uh so i I think that would be really great Uh, otherwise i mean casting wise what they've done so far is just phenomenal Mm -hmm. um and you know the stranger things kids can only be in so many things uh with uh small town bikes uh so yeah i i think the current casting that they've had for 
both the movie or both movies, I should say, is spot on and uh, no notes, Hollywood. Yeah, Good job. No notes. Yeah, I was thinking they could maybe get the cast a new girl for the adults and keep the Stranger Things kids. Or I mean, maybe you can use the kids that they use for the flashback sequences in New Girl. I mean, they they are oh, already yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did think it'd be interesting if, because I'm always about adapting these films to games, if they had a VR game where you play as oh. Pennywise trying to collect the children and anyone who buys the game is automatically put on an FBI watch list. <laughs> it's a helpful tool. Yeah, it, it actually helps. Um, I would, uh, okay, yeah. uh, here's your game and why don't you step over here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this man in the sunglasses would like to speak with you. Um, I also think it'd be fun to see a uh, crossover sequel where you have the Losers Club team up with the crew from the Sandlot and like the Beast can help take down Pennywise because it had that similar feel to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like with that, uh, with the clown turned into the dog head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but ultimately, if they made it like a sequel or I guess made this a trilogy, I would love to see a third part where they're just senior citizens fighting a clown. Because Richie says, he's yeah. like, I can't fight this thing when I'm 70. It's like, but I'd like to see you try. Right. Yeah. Bruce Willis is waiting in the wings. He's like, you give me a chance. Yeah, I want to see the last Vegas version of this. <laughs> uh, or uh, did you remember that movie Red, Retired and Extremely oh, Dangerous? Oh, yeah, yeah. Morgan Freeman is just like, I'm waiting. <laughs> you give me the word <laughs> and we'll do it. All right. Now we're going to go into our final segment, part two of this uh, podcast, if you will, uh, where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, Jason, why would you recommend Stephen King's miniseries, The 1990 It? I'd recommend It because it really is a story about confronting your own fear, becoming a better version of yourself through that process. And I think that's a valuable lesson. Um, and I mean, as for the movie itself, I think the cast really drives that message home. Tim Curry is super creepy in all the right ways. Incredible performance. Uh, and Jonathan Brandis, who plays young Bill, I thought he really brought his A game to this movie. I mean, he's crying and stuttering, and I was I was super impressed. And I think we're kind of in a time where we're a little desensitized to amazing child actors, just because we're like, oh yeah, Stranger Things, kids are incredible actors. We get it. But I mean, this movie was way before all of that and um the the cast both the adults and the kids really are amazing you buy into their small world in dairy right off the bat and you want to go on this journey with them um and it it really did set up this legacy i mean the the book obviously put all of these pieces in place and then they try to execute it with this mini series and now you have this incredibly successful new franchise with part two of it uh wrapping up and it it's this uh horror legacy that has been built and um this was instrumental in that so i recommend it just for a piece of uh horror education to a certain degree like you were saying that some of the origin of some of these clown fears as well it's also a great lesson in long-form storytelling uh, which we don't really have the opportunity to review like three hour plus movies uh, often on this podcast. Um, but it uh, was uh, really an interesting exercise to do so. Um, but at its heart, it is it is scary. It, it reminds you what it's like to be a kid, but also how helpless it can feel to be an adult. And it's the original. Yeah, I, I would recommend this movie because it though I didn't personally find it as scary, um, as what it had been built up to be. Uh, I do think that there is something to be said about 
what horror can be. Uh, similar to uh, when we reviewed Scream, mm-hmm. we review Scream, and Scream is like Scream is a parody of the horror movie genre. It is self-aware, um, and though it has its funny moments, it also is like scarier than what a lot of horror movies can be, yeah, or tend to be, just because it takes the traditional conventions you're used to and flipping it on its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to that, I think that it as a you know a horror movie is interesting because it deals more about you know your your fears coming to life versus you them trying to necessarily scare the audience i guess Mm -hmm. like i feel like the movie does a really good job at focusing on scaring the characters rather than the audience Mm -hmm. um and and then that allows us to be in our character's shoes um and be like, oh yeah, like if that were me, because like I like there are several times when I was watching um, this movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I were there, I would be running or like, oh no, balloons. Now I'm terrified of balloons. Wasn't expecting that, not because like balloons themselves are inherently scary, but like I'm, I felt like I connected so strongly to the characters that I took on their fear kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's. Um, it's different it's very similar to what you're saying it's it's a different kind of horror movie that's definitely worth watching and exploring for yourself like what about it makes it scary for you um and you know seeing all the different varieties of flavors of horror that stephen king is capable of writing yeah for sure to me the uh, scariest part was that messy bathroom there's nothing scarier than a messy bathroom especially (sighs) after you clean it and it's instantly messy again Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. She could have used Bounty, not a sponsor. <laughs> but it could be Bounty <laughs> if you're listening, which I'm sure you are. You got buckets of blood. Grab some Bounty. And that is our review of the 1990 miniseries turned into a movie, clocking in at three hours and 12 minutes. Stephen King's It. Uh, let us know what you remember about it on our social media. We love talking to you over there, getting your feedback answering your questions, sharing movie stories on all of our social places, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean the most to us if you could go to your podcasting platform of choice and give us a rating and review so that people know that this is a podcast that lets the, it's a, it's a beacon of light. Yeah. It's, it's that un, undescribable force. Mm-hmm. It really helps that, us just float to the top. Yeah, yeah. it really does. Mm-hmm. But in, in a, in a good way. And uh, yeah, on a scale of one to five balloons, um, actually, you know, on a, on a scale of one to nine, 99 Luft balloons, um, you, you can do your own fractions if you, if you so choose. Uh, but how would, you, how would you rate this podcast? It's got some metric system in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. you will need a calculator or an abacus, whichever you have. Oh, that's my fear. Yeah. Pennywise would manifest as an abacus being like, I don't know how to use you. What's the value system? (laughs) And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With the movie Hustlers making theaters next week, starring Jennifer Lopez, we decided to look back at one of the greatest hustles in Hollywood, the 2003 American movie, Gigli. Oh, say it with me. Every movie's a miracle. Sorry, I didn't say it with you. That's okay. <laughs>